Alrighty, hello everyone, and welcome back to the Reformed Dissenters, the show where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical worldview. My name is Bruce Johnson. I am joined today, as always, by my brother Jacob Johnson. Hello, everybody. He is in Pennsylvania. I'm in the state of South Dakota, and we are very excited to have you joining us today. Don't forget, you can send us an email. Let us know where you're from, because we'd always love to know where our audience members are across the U.S. or possibly the world. Send us an email at trdshow at protonmail.com. We want to hear from you. What are your thoughts on some of the things we've been saying recently or uh, have been saying from the beginning? I think we're fairly consistent on most fronts. Or if you don't want to send us an email or you're like, that's a little too old fashioned for me, why don't you just leave a comment? It's like you literally have no excuse. If you can consume this content and hear my voice, you can give us feedback. So do that. We would really appreciate it. You can also give us feedback by liking the video and hitting a little button that says um, subscribe. That really helps us too. Check out our show website, trdshow.net. We've got a list of links to a lot of places where we are. If you want to follow us on more than one place, we would totally appreciate that. Or if you don't like censored content and you like free speech, you can follow us on Rumble and Gab and Getter. And uh, Gab TV is a great way to consume our content as well. And if you like communism and censorship, you can definitely follow us on places that are communistic and love censorship like Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. So check it out. We're on big tech as well as freedom loving places. So you have literally no excuse to not share and comment, <laughs> which we would really appreciate both of those things. All right. So today is uh, literature Wednesday. And I think this is our second to last episode. We're going through Andrew Torba and Andrew Isker. Iskar? Isker? I'm going to say Isker. Isker. Andrew Torba and Andrew Isker, uh, they wrote a book called Christian Nationalism. And we've been going through that the past two months. And I think we only have this week and next week left. So, woohoo! This has been an incredible book, and we're really excited about the topics today. But we also have to say, hey, tomorrow is Thanksgiving. So, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy uh, Mashed Potatoes Day. And, and turkey, if, <laughs> if you like that sort of thing. But it's mainly I'd mashed potatoes I'd rather ham. Ooh. Ooh, ham question. That's fair. Beginning question. Yes. Would you rather ham over turkey? Oof, absolutely. I will take almost anything over turkey. I, I'm, I don't know if it's yeah, a weird thing true. or if it's more common now, but I, I just, I don't get turkey. It just. Poultry in general for me is a little odd. I don't care too much. Yeah. Okay, so I have to phrase it this way. I, I'm okay with turkey. But if I can choose something else other than turkey, I will choose something else. But turkey is not disgusting to me. I will oh, yeah, eat turkey. Fair. I can eat turkey. That's fair. Especially if it's got gravy and salt and pepper and Probably. it's flavored well. That's pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yep. So anyways, happy Thanksgiving. That's uh, that's fun. So we got turkey the obligatory day. holiday um congratulatory message out of the way sweet all right um so <laughs> yeah turkey day that's right all right so today we are talking about chapters eight and nine in uh christian nationalism and we've got a ton of stuff to talk about i'm going to be talking about why eschatology matters and why the bible supports a eschatology of victory and then we're going to be moving into chapter nine, where Jake is going to be talking about pastors and churches 
and how to tell a good church from a bad church and also how that all plays into something that happened earlier this year uh with baby murder which we'll see how that all ties together so i'm excited to hear him chat about that i didn't know if um, you wanted to but, keep that ambiguous or if you actually wanted to go we'll leave it there like and if people we'll are like yeah, yeah. intrigued for sure, for sure. then they yeah. can keep going yeah. <laughs> um yeah but before we get into all of that we have to do what we always do which is talk about our verse of the week and i'm going to pass it on over to jake to do just that uh i'm going to try and keep this one a little bit short uh because I know we have a lot to cover. But um, our verse this week is Psalms 93, verses 1 through 2. And it says, The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as a belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. Uh, you are from everlasting. End quote. And that's that's the end of the verse. But um, something that I wanted to point out from this, uh, like Bruce and I have done through, for all of our verses of the week, we are showing Christ's kingdom through it. We're trying to show that Christ has a kingdom and it is a current kingdom. Um, it And so this is showing God's throne. Uh, the last part says, your throne is established from of old. The Lord's throne is established. And um, he is, Christ is currently sitting at the right hand of God. And so this this is what that is referring to. And so it's really, again, another verse, yet, yet another verse showing that Christ is king currently. And his throne is established. His kingdom is coming to the world and we are to bring it in uh but i'm gonna keep it right there i think i know it's not a lot not talking about a lot um but i know bruce has some great commentary on monday and he will have some great commentary on friday so stay tuned for the friday episode if you want a little bit more uh but I know Monday was also really good commentary on on this verse, so go check those two out because Bruce will do has done did it way better than I could have. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but thanks, Jake. I appreciate it. Yes, well, great breakdown, great introduction, and really the concepts and principles in that verse, um, and so many others we've talked about on the show over the past year and a half, are going to be driving what we talk about today when we talk about Christian nationalism. And I'll just say one more thing and kind of add to this. This is the alternative to the problem and the lack of principles we talked about on Monday. So when Ron DeSantis and uh, President Trump do not understand what it means to uh, follow Christ and the word of God for all of life and to implement true justice and to create actual moral laws and to keep a society running properly when they don't know that which they don't because they're not governing it based on the word of god then we as christians the onus is on us to replace that the onus is on us and we have the responsibility of raising up future generations that do know what the word of god says about all areas of life and working towards transforming our nation whatever nation we are in, 
um, you know, Matthew 28, Christ said, make disciples of all nations. We need to make every nation a disciple of Christ. And that is only possible because of what Christ said before that statement. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And so <clears throat> as I go into this chapter eight in Andrew Torba's book, Christian Nationalism, that is the core part of how we're able to say these things and how we're able to have a hope for the future. But does it really matter what we think about the future? Does it matter what our worldview is and, do, worldview is and does it matter what our goal for the future and vision for the future is? I would say yes. And Andrew Torba and Andrew Isker, <coughs> excuse me, here make that point as well. That is very important and that eschatology matters. So I have a quote from page 85, uh, where Andrew Torba said, one of the most important tasks for the Christian nationalist is overcoming the idea that the world is going to end very soon, end quote. So right now, we're kind of in a bit of a theological battle, unfortunately, with our own brothers and sisters in Christ. We shouldn't have to be. And as Andrew Torba is going to um, uh, demonstrate further uh, in this chapter, we didn't used to have this level of theological uh, degradation. We used to know better and we used to be able to read the Bible better as a group, as people who bear the name of Christ. But in recent centuries, we've lost sight of what the Bible says about the future. And we need to recover that. And really, that's one of the first steps when it comes to Christian nationalism, is recovering a proper view of the future. Page 87, Andrew Torba said, given the uh, precipitous cultural and spiritual decline we have been experiencing, it really is time to ask the question, has an uh, eschatology committed to defeat played a role in the chaos we are seeing? Has an eschatology that's committed to defeat played a role in the chaos we are seeing? End quote. And I would argue that the answer is absolutely yes. It has, it's played a massive role in the chaos that we're seeing. Um, page 88, Andrew Torba said, before 1830, when John Nelson Darby invented the concept uh, in a small sect in Great Britain, no Christian had ever heard of the rapture. Eventually, a young American evangelical pastor and Confederate veteran, C.I. Schofield, adopted Darby's system, end quote. And he went into even more detail on page 88 and 89, um, as well as page 87. And it was at that moment that we saw a massive decline in American culture. We saw declines over the next several decades of American history. People started to lose sight of the truth because of people like Schofield and like Darby, who perpetuated these ridiculous notions of doom and gloom of the future. Um, page 89, Andrew Torba went on and said, Darby's and Schofield's new theology grew to gain widespread acceptance among evangelicals throughout the 20th century. At the same time, the church's influence on society and culture began to rapidly decline. The connection here makes sense. If everyone else thinks that the world is doomed to get worse, why invest your time, effort, and resources into trying to make it better? End quote. Which is totally true. If it's all going to fall apart, 
it's all crumbling around us and there's not a thing we can do and we're all just going to get quote unquote raptured off the earth which is not in the bible we're somehow just going to magically all be pulled off the earth anyways then why work for anything that has permanence why look to the future with hope at all and so they don't and so they have stopped modern evangelicals as doug wilson calls them modern evangelifish have squished and made themselves squishy and eh, we don't really have to fight because this whole thing is collapsing anyways and for those that don't have that worldview and still want to fight and yet somehow still hold on to a vision of doom and gloom for the future they're at odds with their own worldview and when push comes to shove and the going gets tough they collapse because their worldview isn't a biblical or b strong enough to get them through those tough times um page 90 andrew torville went on and said our cultural efforts are focused on the next five minutes to the neglect of the next 500 years it is not hard to see how a church that has resigned itself to defeat and failure leads to a society that has descended into madness and depravity, end quote. So hopefully by this point, that's fairly obvious to you. And it makes sense how eschatology has led to, how we can, we can say that eschatology has led to this cultural demise and this collapse that we're um, experiencing right now. Uh, but but well, my next, go ahead. Um, before we move on, uh, talking about that point that it not only hurts societal um, issues, it not only hurts cultural sanctification, it also, you know, you could see how it could, could hurt um, personal sanctification as well. Mm. Because it's, then all the people are looking at it as what is the least, what is the the least possible uh, spiritual growth that I have to have to be saved. Right. Because um, that's all that matters. Right, right. It doesn't go further because, than that. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. All you have to do, all the focus is, is to get to heaven. The sooner yeah. that you can yeah. get to heaven, the better. And right. um, the this least that you have... This world is not our home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yep, yep, exactly. So... My next topic that I'll cover, and I only have about less than five minutes left, so I'll try and get through these next few topics fairly quickly. We'll see how that goes. It is me after all. Um, but my next topic is uh, a pessimistic eschatology poisons the cultural revival well. Um, page 86, Andrew Torba said, it is no coincidence that as a novel eschatology that is pessimistic about the future became the majority view of American Christians and supplanted what had been a previously optimistic, hopeful expectation for the future of Christ's kingdom on earth, our country began to suffer serious and precipitous spiritual, cultural, social, economic, and political decline, end quote. And that's a fact of history. You can study that knowing when Darby's ridiculous notions of a doom and gloom future began to propagate and make their way around America. When that virus started to spread, it affected so much more than just the theological state of the church. But that declined as well. Um, page 90, Andrew Torba said, throughout the first 1800 years, that's 1,800 years of church history, there were many different eschatological views, 
but despite their differences, they all produced an optimism, sorry, produced an optimism. I was thinking it was optimistic. <laughs> they all produced an optimism about the future success of the gospel, end quote. Um, and, and because of that, Christendom spread across the world like wildfire. Uh, and it allowed for early nations, it allowed for nations like early America, the beginning of America, based on the word of God, to exist. Because people saw and, and understood that the Bible called us to work for earthly goals and that we would have victory in those goals, they worked as if they were going to have victory. How about that? And that actually caused them to work harder, to not compromise, to hold to their principles, and eventually allowed a nation like America used to be, based on the word of God, to grow, thrive, and find a firm foundation in, in the rest of the world. All right, so I've got two sections left. Here we go. We'll do this in hopefully record time. The Bible tells of an optimistic future. Page 92, Andrew Torba said, all throughout the Gospels, Jesus proclaims that the kingdom of God is here. Check out Matthew 3, 2, also Matthew 12, 28, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Revelation eleven fifteen, among so many others. The son of David has come and his, uh, I'm sorry, this increase of his rule and reign on the earth has begun. End quote. On page 94, Andrew Torba went on to say everything in the New Testament that a doomer, I love this, he calls, <laughs> he calls pre-mills doomers, that's awesome, that a doomer tries to point to as a reason to despair is actually something that should give Christians great confidence. Those passages are about God vindicating his people, the church, against their enemies. Instead of despair, those passages are meant to give you hope, end quote. And then finally, I'll just wrap up with a call to action. Andrew Torba does this at the end of each of his chapters, and Jake and I both really like it when he does this. So we'll do the same. Um, quick call to action. Don't get stuck thinking that Christ is going to fail. And if you know who this God is that we worship, if you really understand who he is, which is the point we've been trying to get across with all our verses this past year and a half, if you really understand the God that we worship, this idea that Christ is going to fail would just be preposterous to you. And yet so many people, because they don't understand the covenantal God they worship, think that he's going to fail and it will have to burn this entire world and start over. So don't think that because that's not what the Bible says. Page 95, Andrew Torba says, any movement determined to obey Christ's command to disciple our nation cannot be rooted in pessimism and an expectation of failure. You cannot simultaneously hope for a revival of Christian faithfulness in our nation while expecting the world to end at any moment, end quote. Those two things do not mix. It's like oil and water. Finally, I'll end with a quote from page 96 where Andrew Torba said, it is our duty as Christians to spend our lives evangelizing, discipling, and teaching our nation to obey all that Christ Jesus has commanded. He is not the God of defeat, but of victory. The only question that remains is whether we will continue to expect defeat or if we will follow him in his conquest of the world, end quote. And with that, I'll pass it over to Jake. Alrighty, and uh, so, well, I mean, coming off of talking about an eschatology of victory, we have to be hopeful. We have to rejoice in the good things that happen. Um, and this leads me into chapter 9, where the literally the title is, uh, 
this is page 97, and this is the title of chapter 9, and it says, If your pastor did not celebrate Roe being overturned, it is time to find a new church. End quote. And what he's saying is that uh, the pastors need to be rejoicing. The pastors need to be telling you that, hey, this good thing happened, and let us all rejoice in this. Um, and he mo- he continues on on page 97 to say, uh, if you are a church-going evangelical Christian who somehow had not heard about that, sorry, who had not heard about that before going to church Sunday, June 26th, a substantial percentage of you would have remained unaware that the most significant political and cultural change in half a century had taken place. End quote. And, you know, that Roe v. Wade had been overturned, and several Christians had no clue it even happened, <laughs> because pastors did not say anything about it. Yeah. And Andrew, Tor- Andrew Torba continues on page 98 to explain why. Uh, on page 98, Andrew Torba says, There are a number of purported reasons for this. Chief among them is the theological view among evangelical leaders that the church should never speak about anything political or sully its witness by preaching to the culture. Forget the wow. fact that Jesus Christ is king of king of heaven yep. and earth, reigning from the right hand of God the Father, and that therefore everything is under his authority. No, the gospel is only about the individual sinner's heart and has nothing to say about how he is to live in the world, much less how he was, how he is to do things like vote. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, that's completely true. You, you want to talk about modern even jellyfish. This is an, a direct example of modern even jellyfish. And, um, he goes on to say to talk about how that this is an important issue. This is not just uh, an issue that is uh, talking about tax rates, which is still a, a good issue to talk about, but especially this issue that is a huge moral issue. This is the murdering of innocent children. This is a, a specific issue that should be talked about. Um, he, on page 99, he says, this is not trivial partisan politics. These are, these are questions of public righteousness. These are things that almighty God will judge entire nations over. And much of the church is terrified to even say one word about it. Um, on, I'm, I'm not going into too much commentary on all of these, but because I'm trying to get through them. But um we both have you know, so much to say, so little time. Yeah. <laughs> but I would suggest going to the book and reading it because I think it's yeah. quite important to read all the stuff that we do not talk about from it. Cuz there's so much um, more in these chapters. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um but, you know, this is this is not just a an issue that happened it's not just a partisan political issue that has nothing to do with the church that the church shouldn't talk about. First of all, every single political issue is something that the church should be talking about. 
Ooh, hot take there. Well, I mean, you know, every issue, nothing is neutral. Everything is determined by God. Everything is yeah. commanded by God, even if it's the little things. Uh, people always like to say that the color car that you buy has nothing. God does not command us what color car we should buy. But I always say, well, God called us to be thrifty. Does one color make you pay more than the other? Is it smart to buy a car that's more expensive just because of the color of it? Yeah. Um, is it is that being thrifty? Is that being wiser with your money? So, yes, even though it's not direct, God still does have commandments that apply generally Principles. to a lot of, yeah, yep. to a lot of areas of life. And yeah, actually, all areas of life, I will say. <laughs> um, so I think every single issue the church should be talking about. Um, it may not, you may not have to do it in a whole sermon, but at least the church should go, at least the pastor should be talking about it with its congregant members, with all the people, you know, just when he's going around having conversations with people, you know, talk yeah. about this kind of stuff. Yep. Make sure the, the congregation is informed and knows. Um, but especially this topic and this issue, Andrew Torb is specifically saying, this should be being rejoiced in the entire church. This should be being said off the rooftops. <laughs> um, but it's not. Um, wow. He continues on page 101 to say, But these men deceive themselves into thinking their cowardness is Christ-likeness. They pretend as if the sin of murdering your child and severing the most precious and powerful human bond there is between mother and child is no big deal, and God just winks at it. This is murder. Yeah. Murder, in biblical justice, receives the death penalty. This is what people who commit uh, abortions should receive. Yeah. Uh, so this is not something that we should be taking lightly. And especially in what he's saying here is that since this has been overturned, we should be rejoicing that people no longer legally have the ability to do this. Now, as Bruce and I have talked about several times, that, you know, it's still a fight. We still need to be fighting this on a local level, but we should be glad that the, uh, the U.S. as a whole has said, hey, this is no, we're no longer going to say, say that this is a legally legal right across the United States. It's sent back to the states. Yeah. Um, on page 102, uh, Andrew Torba says, evangelicals and their prayers and actions are the reason, humanly speaking, that this ruling happened. Yet our leaders are totally duplicitous at worst and completely aloof at best. Um, what he's saying there is that good evangelicals, he's not talking about the evangelifish, not modern evangelicals. He's talking about good evangelicals who, through their prayers and through action, have, a, have made this happen. Human, and, and he specifically states here, humanly speaking. It is all um, all by God's handiwork, but 
humanly speaking, this is why this is the reason. But, and he's saying that either this was, yeah, um, at worst, these leaders are uh, purposefully keeping this from the people, or at best, they are they have no clue. The best is that they're ignorant. Yeah. Um, and I, which I think is crazy to not crazy to think, but it, it's thinking that these people are just ignorant at best. That that's the best that they could be is like, yeah, that's true. Completely true. And I'm glad that my the church I have been a part of did actually talk about Roe v. Wade, did actually speak about it, at least a little bit. Um, I know our pastor spoke against abortion, um, and so I was, I was glad about that, at least. Um, and I know he talked at least to the individuals that it was a good thing of Roe v. Wade. So I know our, my pastor did that. And that was good. Um, but that a lot of pastors are not talking about this, are not rejoicing yeah. over this. And they're either purposefully doing that, which is terrible, or at best, they're just ignorant. Um, but moving on, and this is this is a topic that I have two more quotes. This next topic, though, I do... I've thought about a lot, and I think it's very interesting to think. Um, but uh, Andrew Torba says on page 103 that church growth strategies and marketing schemes dominate everything for these people. He's talking about the, the modern even jellyfish. But what good is it to have thousands of people in your church if you are leading them slowly into perdition? <laughs> yep. Um, these pastors are thinking of the church as a business strategy. It is no longer a ministry. It is a business strategy. Yeah. How can you get people into pews? <laughs> and these pastors don't care about teaching you in personal growth. What they really want is for you not to make waves at your job so they so you can give them a bigger tithe. <laughs> And, you know, it's, it's, it's a hot take. I understand that. I'm not saying that all pastors are purposefully thinking of that, but that's, you know, it is a thing to think about that this is a possible reason that that's why that's happening. Yeah, certainly not completely out of the question. Exactly. Um, they're thinking of the church as another way to make money, yep. which is wrong. That it, let me, for those that may be confused as to whether or not that's, <laughs> the case, let me just tell you right now, that is wrong. Um, but, you know, it's that's what's happening. In our current culture, we see everything as a business strategy. They are turning the government into a business strategy as well. Communism is a business strategy. They just want to, the government wants to be, through communism, they want to be the the authority of everything, over everything. So that they can take your money and keep it for themselves. Yep. Um, my last quote is my ending quote. And this this is more of a call 
this is a call to action. And this is hopefully telling you of what you should be doing next. Uh, page 104, Andrew Torba says, So if you are one of the many faithful Christians rejoicing over the Dobbs decision and your pastor has been silent, you don't just have the right to find a new church. You have a duty to do so. Mm. There are countless faithful churches and pastors who gladly receive like-minded reinforcements and the encouragement to the boldness that you would be. Now is the time to go find them. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And that may be in what may be involved in that is going to a different state. Yeah. Yep. Yes, indeed. Wow. Well, thanks for going through all that, Jake, breaking it down. Um, certainly a lot of good stuff there to think through. Um, thank you all so much as the audience for listening or listening to or watching us today we uh certainly appreciate that check out our show website which is trdshow.net send us an email trdshow at protonmail.com and we are looking forward to seeing you on friday where we have just a fantastic conversation with the campus preacher keith daryl you do not want to miss that episode and remember everyone in all that you do do it as unto the lord